John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessing over us. Thank you that you're able to bring hope through even the toughest of times, strengthening us for your purposes. Thank you for your great love and care. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you that you are always with us and will never leave us. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice so that we might have freedom and life. Oh God, forgive us for when we don't thank you, God, thank you enough for who you are, for all that you, that you do, for all that you've given. Help us, O oh God, to set our eyes and our hearts on, your, on you afresh. Renew our spirit. Fill us with your peace and joy. We love you. We need you. This day and every day, we give you praise and thanks. For you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to introduce you a um, dear friend of mine. Uh, he's been here often. Uh, he has written, I think, a thousand books. <laughs> Uh, and counting, <laughs> so um, uh, he's been a, such a great friend, a great um, prayer partner, and I was just glad to serve alongside with him, uh, him and Carol, and will you welcome uh, Dr. Bruce Hitchcock. Well, good morning. Uh, as I've said before, I'm happy to be here, but at my age, I'm really happy to be anywhere. So, <clears throat> I um, happened to be looking at a calendar the other day and uh, noticed that it was April the 21st, which means that I am now 10 months away from 80, and uh, it made me feel old. I just wanted to... Um, say how much I appreciate uh, being here today. I love this church. Uh, I was uh, downloading, I've uh, used my maximum uh, uh, storage on my iPhone, and so uh, I have thousands of pictures on there along with a lot of other stuff, and so I was downloading some of the pictures, trying to download them. If any of you are experts on that, I could sure use your help. Uh, trying to uh, trying to download from uh, iPhone to a PC is not the easiest thing in the world. They don't like talking to each other, and um, they need to know Jesus. I think, <laughs> at least uh, 
I think their founders did need to know. The, um, anyway, I, as I was going through the pictures and looking at them, I saw the pictures of uh, when I spoke at your family getaway, I don't know how many years ago, that has to be five, six, seven years ago now, uh, up in uh, Forest Home. And uh, I suddenly remembered that it snowed while we were up there. <laughs> it was about a foot of snow on my car overnight. I mean, it turned from like 70 degrees to 28 the next day. But fortunately, the beautiful cabin they gave me had a fireplace in it, so I was able to stay warm. Anyway, I don't know why I brought that up, but just uh, I love the people here and love coming and speaking here. Uh, I uh, Two Sundays ago, I, I spoke uh, at Carpenter's Church in Corona, and uh, it's a bilingual church, and so I had a translator, so I only had to prepare about 30, about 18, 20 minutes because I would say something and then they would interpret and I had no idea what they were talking about, and, but they knew what I was talking about. And uh, two weeks before that, I spoke at uh, New Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in San Diego. And the, I, I said to the pastor, how long do you want me to speak? And he said, 20 minutes. I kind of looked at him and he looked at me and said, and if you speak longer than that, we'll all get up and walk out. So uh, at least I've never had that happen at this church, no matter how long I've spoken. Um, I wanted to mention, um, uh, Alan mentioned that uh, I do write a few books. Uh, actually, uh, I just finished my 36th uh, book. It's entitled uh, Christ in You, the Hope of Glory, uh, and it's uh, a commentary study guide on Colossians. My ministry is really a ministry about transformation. Uh, the Bible is a book about transformation. Uh, God wants us to be transformed into his image. Uh, when it says that we're born, we must be born again, it, it, to be born again means that the spirit um, died in Adam. We're body, soul, and spirit. Like God is is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're also triune being, beings, body, soul, and spirit. But what happened uh, in Adam is the spiritual part of us died. So when Jesus um, mentions in John 3, right at the beginning, uh, and when Nicodemus comes to him and says, and, and ask him a question, and out of Jesus really doesn't answer the question. He just says... Uh, uh, to earn or to have eternal life, you must be born again. And then he goes on and says, we must be born of the water, which is speaking of physical birth, and we must be born of the spirit, which is spiritual birth. Well, see, the spirit that died in Adam now becomes alive, alive in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, when a baby is born, the baby needs to have nutrition that needs to be fed for a while uh, until it can feed itself in order to grow. Otherwise, uh, the baby's never going to grow. It's going to be stunted in its growth. And so the transformation process is so important 
because of the fact that we need to grow in our knowledge of Christ. In order to be more like Christ, we have to know about him. So we, um, we need to grow in Christ. And so my messages and, and the materials that I publish um, is, are, are specifically about transformation. And um, the books that I have uh, that I offer uh, for a donation, uh, 100% of that money goes to our nonprofit, and our nonprofit is specifically interested in transformation of people who are coming out of addictions. We give, have now given away more than 40,000 uh, books and other materials to people that are coming out of addictions. And I just wanted to mention that. So uh, when, you're, when you're helping yourself grow, uh, through the materials that we make, you're also helping someone else come out of addiction, and uh, which is growing in our country. I don't know whether you hear the figures on the news or not, but uh, the number of, uh, uh, of people on addictions has skyrocketed during this pandemic. So um, more and more we need to uh, provide help for them. Uh, today I'm going to speak on, a, interestingly, uh, and I don't know why this happened to me, but I was sitting in my uh, office and I had just finished uh, the book on Colossians and, and uh, somehow the Holy Spirit um, spoke to me. Uh, it wasn't the spaghetti I had for dinner. Uh, and said, you know, I want you to look again at at chapter 4, verse 18. And I looked at it, and I really said, Lord, you want, you want me to look at this verse? The verse says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And I thought, what do you want me to do with that, Lord? And then I felt this... this um, urge to develop a message on this, the whole concept of, the, of this phrase, grace to you. Because when we think about our relationship with God, it's built on grace. So let's um, just open and a quick word of prayer. Um, every day with you, Lord, is a special day. You love us and challenge us in every way. The world pushes us beyond our ability to cope with you in control. We always have hope. Hope is eternal with you at the wheel, guiding and connecting us despite our will. Teach us to love in your wisdom and worldless, worldless way that we might be more like you every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When we look at this, uh, uh, look at this section of scripture and other scriptures, we, we see um, in Romans 6.14, for example, it encourages us that, um, that for sin shall not have don dom domination over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. So this word grace keeps coming up over and over again in Scripture. Hebrews 
4.15 uh, directs us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. When we approach the throne of grace, which is God's throne, and, and we approach God's throne through prayer, we do that because we have grace as our weapon. It's a gift uh, that comes to us from God, and it's not only a weapon that allows us to approach God in, in strength and in courage, but it also is a weapon that we can use against sin. So we want to look uh, more deeply at this whole concept uh, of grace. Uh, in the first uh, section, there are two thoughts in this section of Scripture that I think are really important. Uh, the fact that he wrote the book of Colossians in his hand, although is an interesting statement, it's not really a transformational statement, but it does point out the fact that he usually had a scribe, but uh, even in his imprisonment, he had a scribe. But at this particular time in his ministry, he was uh, pretty much alone and, and wrote everything, all these letters uh, out in his own hand. But then he makes two really interesting statements. One is, remember my imprisonment. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, we're really all prisoners uh, in, in a certain way. We're prisoners uh, to temptation. And just as, as Paul was bound with chains, they, they chained him with, uh, with his, uh, uh, on his wrists and chained him around his ankles, and then the chain around his ankles was ankled, anchored to a wall. When we were uh, over in Israel, when I was over there the second time, uh, they took us into some uh, places where they had pri uh, held prisoners. Um, uh, the Roman Empire held them. And at this particular time uh, in Paul's life, he was being held by the Roman prisoners. He had asked to speak before Caesar. And so they were transporting him from one city to another to get him to Rome. He was chained uh, to, this, uh, to this wall. And so when, but when we think about that, we're chained in a certain way. And the only thing that can break our chains uh, is the grace of God. So Paul makes these two uh, interesting uh, statements. The second one is the one that we really want to focus on today. Uh, because he closes with this phrase, closes the entire letter to uh, the church at Colossae with this three-word phrase, grace to you. When we, th we look at John 4, 16, we see that Jesus said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way that we can get to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. They're all kinds of ways that people try to get to God. And when I talk to people about God out on the streets or, or uh, in places where other than in churches, um, I find that the majority of people still believe that there's some form of God. But it's not, it's not our God. It's not the God uh, that's the ruler of the universe. It's a different God. The God either that they have control over or that they have to earn their way to get anything from their God, and then it's, it's an iffy thing. But with our God, God constantly speaks to us, and we can speak to God through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. 
So grace is from God. It's a gift from God. And we need to walk in his grace. We need to talk in his grace. We need to live in the grace of God. And we need to, to walk every, every hour of every day uh, that we're awake. We need to be aware uh, of the grace of God. But what is the grace of God? I ask that question uh, to a lot of people and they say, well, the grace of God is what gives us salvation. I say, yeah, but what is grace itself? Oh, well, I don't know. They never thought about it. So let's talk a little bit about what grace actually is. Uh, Paul says grace to you uh, and grace cannot be taken lightly uh, or pushed aside for grace is the power of God that gives us life. So we wonder how important is grace? It's the power of God that gives us life. It grants us salvation freely. Ephesians 3, uh, 8 says, For by grace are you saved. So it is grace that's the power that gives us salvation. Through faith, we, God gives us the gift of faith and then we, we uh, decide whether or not to use that gift uh, for our salvation. But it's the grace of God that brought about the gift of faith that God gave us. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this, where God is at work through divine grace, abounding sin is conquered. Hope begins and good becomes perceptible. So we figure out what hope is and what the good things that God is going to give us through the whole idea of grace. The grace of God is displayed in uh, John 4, 8, where it says, God is love. If God is love and his spirit lives in us, then we are also to love because we're to give the spirit control uh, of our lives. When the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus by asking him, what is the greatest gift in Matthew 22, 34 through 40, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. See, the original law, God gave us 10. And then what Jesus did was he summarized those 10 commandments into two much more simple commandments. So I tell people, you can follow the Old Testament and those 10 commandments, or you can take the two that Jesus gave us. And they're both based on love because love is, the, is God. God is love. Jesus expanded on that second um, uh, commandment just before his crucifixion when he was meeting with the disciples in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Love as I have loved you. And so the second commandment, he made it more succinct. Instead of just 
loving your neighbor as you love yourself. He wants us to love others as, as he loved us. That's sacrificial love. That's a deeper love. That means that I would lay down my life for someone else like Christ laid down his life for us. God's love is fully um, expressed, expressed in John 3.16. It was really interesting that when, as I was praying and thinking about this message today um, about grace, because grace is really uh, the, the gift that we get from God, but grace is a product of God's love. It is God's being love that caused him to provide Christ and provide us with the opportunity for salvation through his grace. So grace is really a product uh, of God's love. But when I was thinking about it, I just couldn't get John 3.16 out of my mind. And it's probably, I mean, it, it, you don't even have to look at the screen to, to say it because it's, it's the most memorized verse that there is in the Bible, uh, according to Google anyway. Uh, and you can't believe everything on, your, on the internet, but uh, just about everybody I know, if I say to them, do you know John 3.16, they can quote it to you because it's a very simple verse. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What we're going to do is um, use one of these modern words. We're going to unpack this uh, verse today and, and look at the depth of this incredible verse and how it applies to God's love. And first of all, in this verse, we see, uh, and we're going to break it down into little sections, for God, and God, and that part of the verse uh, indicates God, uh, God's love is, is universal. It indicates the universality of, of his love. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. So in God's love, he wants everybody to be saved. Not, er not everyone's going to choose to, to be saved. Not everyone's going to choose Christ as their Savior. But God offers it to everyone. It's universal. Whoever believes won't perish. So it's universal in that once we believe, we will never perish. We are guaranteed eternal life through God. So each one of us uh, that have accepted Christ as Savior, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what sin we commit, no matter what things we do in our lives, God is not going to take our salvation away from us. We are eternally secure. The Bible says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe some of you are really strong, okay? But I don't think you can break the Holy Spirit's seal. The most powerful being in the universe, the Holy Spirit, I don't think you can break the Holy Spirit's seal. So when it says we are sealed by the Spirit, that is a permanent uh, seal. 
Eternal life uh, requires a living, active faith. God wants us to be active in our faith. Romans 1.17 says, For therefore, uh, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 says, But no man is justified by the law of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And Hebrews 10.38 just says simply, Now the just shall live by faith. So we have this obligation that we should live by faith. Somebody asked me in a Bible study on Tuesday night, about talking about eternal security and they were concerned about uh, their relationship with God. And I said, you know, um, when I was growing up, I had this friend, in fact, Carol and I uh, happened to look him up on the internet the, the other day. His name was Lee McCarthy and uh, he was a, a correspondent with NBC News and we grew up as children uh, together in the same neighborhood. And we were very close friends. And... Um, but I remember there were times when we would disagree about something and fight about it and get mad. We never wanted to talk to each other again. And then we went home and an hour later we were back hugging and playing baseball together again. And the thing is that we never lost the bond that held us together. But every once in a while our relationship with each other was not good. See, we can't break that bond that we have with God. God doesn't always like what we do, but we have this bond with him that can't be broken. That's the way I feel about Carol, my wife. Uh, we've been married, I hope I get it right, 50, 56 years, 57 years, I'm sorry. 57 years, going on 58. And we have this bond with each other. Now, do we always agree on everything? No, we don't. But we have this bond with each other that no matter what happens in our lives, we can't be separated. We're one person together. And um, I love her. She loves me. I don't like her sometimes. She doesn't like me a lot of times. But man, nothing can separate us from our love for each other. And see, that's our relationship with God. In the same way, God loves us no matter what. I love God no matter what. But I don't always do the things that God wants me to do. Does that make sense? So God, God's love is, is, is universal. Secondly, God's love is also beneficial. Uh, we love because he first loved us. Our love is completely dependent on God. Therefore, worldly love has always included restrictions. When we think about worldly love, people say things like, if you love me, you would do this. Or I will love you as long as you do this. Well, that's, that's taking away the benefit of, of the love because the great benefit of love is that it, you always have this foundational bond with each other. 
God, God's love is different than the world's love. God has surrounded us with promises because of the love that we have for him. John 5.16, for example, teaches, you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you and appointed you that you might bear fruit and that that fruit might remain so that anything that you ask in my name will be given to you. What an incredible promise that is. The promise is that he chose me before the foundation of the world. I won't go into that today, but he chose me before the foundation of the world that I would go and bear fruit for him, that I would tell others. And in doing that, he promises that he will give me anything that I, that I ask for. Now, sometimes I ask for things and I get something a little bit different. You know, I'd love to have a Tesla, but he gave me a Ford. Uh, but you know what? That, that little Ford that I have gets almost 50 miles to the gallon and it's just as good as an electric car as far as I'm concerned. And it's never broken down. And I see these electric cars parked along the road, and I'm wondering, where are they going to plug that thing in? <laughs> anyway, this is one of those great mysteries that the world has. So God's love is universal. It's beneficial because God cares so much for us. He wants to give us good things in our lives. But then it's not only universal and beneficial, but God's love is unconditional. For God so loved the world. Romans 5.8 explains, God shows his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You see, he didn't, we didn't have to be good before Christ died for us. He died for us because we couldn't be good. There are conditions that the world places on love. I mentioned earlier uh, the phrase, I if you love me, you will do this or you'll do that. Uh, the simple rule or command is, is, uh, is a condition on the world's love. The world is going to love you as long as you meet the conditions that, that it places on you. God doesn't place any conditions on us. There is an expectation that's always associated with the commands that the world gives us. Uh, I saw this little cartoon in the uh, paper. I like this one. It's called Pickles. And it's uh, an elderly grandfather and grandmother, so it's easy for us to relate. And almost every day, it's something that we've had happen in our lives. But Grandma walks into the living room and grandpa's sitting in his easy chair like he always is and she says did you take out the trash he said yes i did so she gently grabs him by the ear and takes him out into the kitchen and shows him this trash can which is overflowing and all these squiggly little lines showing that it smells really bad too and she points to it and he looks at her and he says oh i didn't know know you meant this week 
there was an expectation there that he would have taken the trash out, but he didn't follow her expectation. Uh, and as a result, I think he came out with a sore ear. So God doesn't place any expectations uh, on our relationship. He has a desire for us to grow, but his love for us isn't conditioned on it. We need to grow. The deeper we grow in our relationship with Christ, the easier life is for us. But then God's love is also sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, God's love goes beyond beyond our love for, for each other. The world's love is not sacrificial, but God's love is. It was so, he loved us so much that he sacrificed his only child for us. Christ went to that cross. We celebrated it uh, a week ago last Friday. Christ went to that cross that he would pay a payment that we could not pay ourselves. There was nothing we could do, nothing that we could do in our lives that would give us eternal life with God. So Christ had to pay that penalty for us, pay that, make that payment for us. And he did it willingly. So uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, then they would lay down their life for their friends. The greatest love in the world was displayed by Christ on the cross. But then Sunday came and Christ rose again from the dead as evidence that he had, that he had the power over life and death. So it this sacrifice that Christ made and the resurrection gave us what we needed as proof that, that, uh, that God was on the throne and that he could be believed. The believability of Christ uh, is up to us, but the evidence is overwhelming. Luke 19.42 says, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is an expression that Christ made the first time um, that he looked at Israel, that he got to the place when we were, when I was over there, you drive up a long windy road uh, Till you get to the top of the mountain and just as you come up over the rise all of a sudden you see Jerusalem laid out in front of you see the walls see the golden dome and as as Christ walked up to to Jerusalem for the first time and it was the, going to be within the last week week and a half of his life the first time that he saw it and when he saw it he made this great statement that if only you had known the peace that I was going to bring. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And that's where we hear the verse, Jesus wept. 
He cried for Israel because they could have had eternal life by accepting the coming of the Messiah, and yet they rejected it. So the human Jesus wished that they had listened to the, to the prophets. But the God-man Jesus knew that they wouldn't listen and that they would crucify him. Finally, and this is kind of a Paulian finally, uh, if you know what that means, Paul would say finally and then go on for four more chapters. Finally, God's love is eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there is a condition on our salvation and that condition is belief. We must believe that Christ died for us. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. We need to make Jesus the Lord of our life, that we place him first in our life ahead of everything else. I express my love for my wife, but I love Jesus more than I love my, my wife. Because Jesus is the Lord of my life. All the decisions that I make, I try to make decisions that's go that are going to honor and glorify God. Hebrews 3.5 says, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We sang about it this morning. Jesus said this same thing in 3.18 where he says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is unchanging. He's eternal. Now, will God change his mind? God will change his mind, but that doesn't mean he changes. God is the same yesterday, today, uh, and forever. We see in, in uh, Exodus 32.14 and Amos 7.3 and in Malachi 3.6 it all make this emphatic statement. For I, the Lord your God, do not change. God doesn't change and neither does his word. His word stays the same. It stayed the same for thousands of years. It's not going to change now. So God's love is universal it's beneficial, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's eternal. And we see all of this in John 3, 16. I wrote this little poem. It's kind of like the spiritual application of this verse. My Lord, my God, how can it be that you would die upon a tree and sacrifice yourself for me? that I might live a life set free. A love for us that has no bounds in all creation. It surrounds every creature, large and small, loving mankind most of all. God's love is unconditional, but we can be traditional with unrealistic expectations on our friends 
and our relations. Help us, Lord, to understand that we are in your open hand. We must trust in you completely and love each other much more deeply with open eyes and an open heart, observing you to get our start. We are to love without constraint, to follow your lead without complaint. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace this day and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.